Space Security with Lieutenant General Nina Armanian and Lieutenant General John Shaw. This week at ASPE has been all about space security. We were delighted to be joined by Lieutenant General Nina Armanian, Director of Staff Headquarters at US Space Force, and Lieutenant General John Shaw, Deputy Commander of US Space Command. We continue the conversation on space in this special episode. Aspie's Beck Shrimpton asks General Armanio and General Shaw about opportunities and competition in space, the difference between US Space Command and the US Space Force, and how Australia and the United States can work together to make space secure and sustainable for all. This is Policy, Guns and Money, the Aspie podcast, with me, Olivia Nelson. Welcome to the ASPE podcast to General Amanio and General Shaw from US Space Force and US Space Command, respectively. Thank you both for undertaking the, the very long and arduous travel to Australia and your wonderful contributions to ASPE's strategic dialogue and our masterclass that we ran earlier this week. We felt it was a really useful day and a good conversation, but I'd like to ask, how did you find it? Maybe General Amanio, you first? I would love to comment. Aspie put on a, a fantastic two days. Uh, the first day was the master class. The second day, track 1.5 dialogue, which, which was a little bit more. We just dove into the issues a little deeper, but I really was very impressed with the crowd that you assembled, let's just say, the types of people, the caliber, and the range. You know, you drew from industry, you drew from academia, you drew from the military, Three countries were represented. It was really fantastic, I thought. And then the conversations among like-minded nations was was really refreshing. And, you know, I, I don't really want to skip to the end too quickly, but I think we need to get after it. A lot of great ideas that we need to crack on. Excellent. I agree. A lot of ideas, but the important thing is to actually do something with those ideas. Yes, General Shaw. I, I thought it was a remarkably engaging discussion. I thought the all of the, just like Jeremiah said, you had a, a very diverse set of folks from a lot of different backgrounds and a lot of different places. And it was, for particularly for me, it was just helpful to be here, you know, in Australia, in the Southern Hemisphere, having these discussions. As humans, sometimes we need to kind of change our actual physical location to get a different perspective on things. And so it was just an honor to be here in Australia. Spectacular. Thank you. Now, the, the second day of the strategic dialogue, the 1.5 track was, of course, off the record, so we won't get into specifics. But I just wondered, to your point about getting after some things, General Amanio, was there anything in particular that resonated as an idea, a challenge, or a conversation that's you know particularly or a higher priority for you that we need to get after? I think it was probably more the just just the collection of fantastic ideas. Every time we talked about a challenge, I saw an opportunity for collaboration. I saw an opportunity to partner even deeper. And what I learned is that Australia is a burgeoning space-faring nation, and there is tons of talent here and capability. And as we work together on, gosh, what can we actually physically do together, there's almost no limit to what we can do. And that's what I walk away with as an American coming out of conversations here in Australia. Wonderful. And I think that reflects something that was noted in those conversations was the only limit to what we might achieve is our own imaginations right. to an extent. Yeah. 
General Shaw, is there anything? You know, it was a great discussion. I think one of the themes that, that I took away, and we talked about it throughout that day of the Track 1.5, was I think we're going to see in this new age of, of space a, a new level of space governance. And I, I say that across the spectrum. You know, we had some discussions about treaties. Do we need something that's a newer version of the Outer Space Treaty that we have in place for a very long time? But that's at one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is just regulation and governance of commercial activity, all for the safety of all and effectiveness and efficiency of all of those activities in space. And then in between there are norms of responsible behavior about how everyone, all actors, should be acting in the space domain. We have a pretty good filled-in spectrum of that governance in the other domains, maritime and, and air. Space, I think, is lagging those, but I think we're going to see that change because we have so many actors in space today. And that was a recurring theme that we poked at from a lot of different angles, from a lot of different perspectives, and it was very, it was intriguing. I, may I add yes. uh, something to that? I think that one of those, as we were talking about norms and governance, one of the threads of conversation that I really found fascinating was, you know, because we don't necessarily think this deeply when we're in operations or we're, we're in each other, you know, back home, basically doing our, our day jobs. But as we agree as countries, as we agree with norms, as we agree that destructive anti-satellite testing is a no-go, and more and more nations sign up to that, that becomes an active norm. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be codified in a treaty. It becomes an active norm. And I really enjoyed that uh, thread of conversation. Wonderful. Thank you. Uh, General Shaw, to you, you have characterized the evolution of the space environment and in particular the way the US has, has thought about and operated within that environment in, in a very, what I found, insightful and interesting way. Can I get you to sketch out, please, your sort of three ages of, yeah. of space? The three space ages? The three space ages. Sure, Beg. That, that's almost a podcast in itself. Maybe you'll invite me back and we can get into it in more detail, but I'll, I'll be as concise as I can on the on the kind of the framework. You know, so I would suggest that we're in the third space age. And the first space age characterized really, and by the way, when we talk about these ages, it's not strictly from a national security perspective or strictly from a civil perspective or commercial. It's all of these sectors together. And they tend to be uh, really kind of linked in many ways. In the first space age, I would just characterize that as from the, the, very, the very beginnings of, of Sputnik and, and so on to the end of the Cold War. And that was characterized mostly by national security activities and a little bit of scientific exploration and only nascent commercial activity. The second space age stretches from the end of the Cold War to, I would say, roughly around 20, 2012, 2015, characterized by linear expansion among the sectors. And I say linear, meaning not it was kind of doing many of the same things we'd done before, just to a greater extent. Uh, examples would be in the civil side, we went to low Earth orbit and routinized that with Space Shuttle and the International Space Station and even partnered with our former Cold War foes in that regard. Commercial did kind of expand in many ways. What were a few geosynchronous commsats in the first space age became many, many more. Uh, GPS became something that commercial industry used. And then, but interestingly, from a national security perspective in the second space age, we faced uh, no threats. In the first space age, there were. In the Cold War, the Soviet Union, the United States, we talked. We all thought about how we might hold each other's capabilities at risk. In the second space age, that went away, and a lot of our policies and a lot of our architectures and such reflected that lack of a threat. 
But somewhere in the last few years, we've entered the third space age. And that I would characterize by a, a conjunction of space sectors. The space sectors are now intertwined in ways they never were before in the previous ages. And we are now under threat in the space domain as well. So threats have returned in the more diverse and, and more challenging than ever. When I say that there's interdependence among all the sectors in ways we've never seen between civil and commercial, you know, NASA has actually outsourced you know, the ability to bring astronauts to the International Space Station. It's now done by commercial contractor. Who would have imagined in the first space age that we would, that we would do a thing, or even in the second? But commercial and national security are now intertwined in ways we've never seen before. And even in the Ukraine conflict today, we're seeing that. We have commercial capabilities that are actually being threatened because of the contributions they're making in that environment. But they are also contributing to the awareness of what's going on in the terrestrial spheres and in that Ukraine war. And so this opens up a whole other set of questions for us that we're going to need to address as we move forward. And we're going to have to do it together across the sectors and across allies and partners. Thank you. That leads us quite nicely, actually, to my next question, which is, could you please help our listeners understand in organising for this new and third space age that you've just described, what are the differences between or what is the key difference between Space Force and Space Command and why have you gone this way? Sure. In fact, that is one of the features of the third space age is we now have a new United States Space Command, which is a joint organization composed of uh, capabilities from all the services and how we actually do operations on a day-to-day basis. And we have a United States Space Force, a new branch within our military that organizes, trains, and equips capabilities that are presented to the joint force for operation. For those of your listeners that are familiar with the Australian Defense Organization, U.S. Space Command is analogous to Joint Operations Command and actually conducts operations, includes all of the services, and the U.S. Space Force is, is again, analogous to the services of the Air Force and the Army and the Navy. So General Manio works in the Space Force staff at the Pentagon. I work at U.S. Space Command headquarters in Colorado Springs. We are both members of the U.S. Space Force. We both transferred into it after three decades of each of us service. We are both guardians. Both guardians and, and proud of that. But I work in a joint organization alongside airmen and soldiers and sailors and Marines. And we need all of those services to bring capabilities of various kinds to do our missions in the United States Space Command. So I'll offer General Manu if she wants to add on, but it's important to understand those are two different organizations that do two very important things that together are allowing us to address these new challenges of the third space age. And as the United States Space Force has the role, just like any other service, as General Shaw said, we have the role to organize, train, and equip guardians. And we present those forces, our guardians and the equipment that we procure and and build. We present those forces to United States Space Command to then operate and execute. Wonderful. And if I'm not wrong, I think you recently announced one of the first establishment of of a Space Force presence within another command, one that's very relevant to us in the Indo-PACOM. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Our first space component command is commanded by uh, Brigadier General Tony Mastelier, and the first command we chose to stand up within is Indo-PACOM, the priority of this region of the world. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Can I ask you both, perhaps starting with you, General Shaw, what your immediate 
and maybe as well your longer-term priorities are for you as Deputy Commander of US Space Command and for you as Director of Staff General Amanio in the Space Force. Mm -hmm. One of the refreshing things about my job, right, is that I, I, get, I come to work every day and, and we're focused on uh, operations and the near-term threats. And so our event horizon tends to be a little bit nearer in than maybe the Space Force. So you're asking the question in a, in a good way, right? What, what are we looking at today from U.S. Space Command? And then we can hear from General Manio maybe a little longer term. I would say the, the most immediate challenge for us is not just U.S. Space Command. It's from an allied perspective, it's also from a multi-sector perspective, is really understanding what's going on in the space domain. It's more crowded than it's ever been. You know, the, the space domain of that first space age was analogous to the, the Southern Ocean, right, near Antarctica, with not a whole lot of traffic. The space domain of today is, is the area around the Malacca Straits. It's crowded with a lot of different actors of all different kinds. That's the way it is. So how do you understand what is going on in that domain for safety of navigation, safety of operation, and also for understanding and characterizing threats. So, and it turns out space is really big if you do the math. Even our Earth-Moon gravity well is huge in terms of volume. So understanding what's going on in that space is probably our most, most immediate challenge and the one we're focused on. When we get that, then we can more effectively use the other capabilities we have to ensure we protect and defend our capabilities in space and continue to deliver those capabilities to the terrestrial domains and the users that need them. For the United States Space Force, we are almost three years old. We turned three on uh, December 20th. This month. This month. It, yes. is, this, it is December. And uh, we have a brand new service chief. General Salty Saltzman is our new chief of space operations. And while we have had tremendous progress in our first uh, three years, we certainly cannot take the foot off the pedal here. We have a sense of urgency. We have a momentum behind us to field combat-ready forces, and that's what we intend to continue to do and focus on the personnel, their training, and the equipment that we need to provide present these forces to United States Space Command so that we can prevail in any conflict, let alone day-to-day -day operations, but prevail there. Secondly, General Saltzman is talking about amplifying the guardian spirit. John said, we are proud to be guardians. There is not just a sense of pride there, but a sense of understanding that we are unique. We understand space. We understand the domain. And we are actually tried and tested in, in that domain. We cannot do any of this alone. And so thirdly, we will partner to win. We will continue to partner with amazing allies like Australia and others, but uh, it's, it's all about partnerships and capitalizing on the like-minded uh, spacefaring nations that are our friends. Yeah, if you add on to one thing there, the interesting thing about the space domain is that it touches every nation on the earth. And so there is really, it's rare that, it, in fact, it never happens that we would engage a potential partner nation that's not interested in space. There's an interest there. And so by what I'm, what I'm drawing out here is the, the very nature of the domain kind of demands partnerships and cooperation and collaboration. You can't isolate it into just a certain set of nations or a certain part of the earth. It's everywhere. And so that's kind of part, I think, of the culture of being a guardian moving forward is about partnerships. Yeah, really. That's exciting. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And when you talk about allies and partners, thank you for particularly 
calling out Australia. We, as you know, are, are really working hard to be a, a great ally and partner in space. And I think the opportunity here is that we are quite a nascent space faring nation and we're really looking to to leapfrog and and get up there and and make sure that we are a part of this growing global space domain and and space economy partnering as you've mentioned before is also with industry and it's a core theme of the new release national defense strategy of course Mm -hmm. can i ask you both to to talk a little bit to the nature of the threats that are posed by China and Russia, both in and from space. And again, you know, how allies and and partners come into your strategy to counter those threats. I like to say that the joint warfighter and the allied warfighter today depends more on space today than they did yesterday, and they will depend more on space tomorrow than they did today. It's just how modern warfare in the 21st century works. It relies on space. And our potential adversaries have, have noticed this. And, and that's, it's, it should not surprise us that there are now threats against those space capabilities. It is, should not surprise us, any of us. So the question is, how do we approach that? And I, I think we do it the way we've always been successful as allies, is we work it together. And we, uh, we're stronger together. And the more that we can cooperate, not only operationally, but also in the development of capabilities, development of policies, the development of norms of behavior collectively, it's very clear to me that that's how we address these threats, deter those threats from, from ever being realized against our capabilities and make space uh, safe and sustainable for all. Thank you. And, and General Armanio, I know that the U.S. Space Force has put a premium on building a more resilient space architecture, yes. and that obviously involves allies and partners as nations, but also industry. Can you talk a little bit more to that? Absolutely. As we develop those capabilities as we modernize our current capabilities and architectures and systems. We are learning and and working on making those systems more resilient because the threat does exist. And if our systems come under attack, we need to uh, be able to continue to operate through that attack and win. So resilience comes in many forms. We, we had really good conversations actually on both Monday and Tuesday about what resilience actually means. But for this conversation, I can say that it means diversifying our orbital capabilities. You know, if we're talking about, uh, for example, our missile warning architecture, which we've already analyzed and studied and, and come up with a new force design, everything that uh, a nation does requires some steps. So, so as we walk through those steps, we are now deciding what to fund for our new missile warning architecture. And it just means bringing those capabilities into different orbits, taking them from geostationary orbit and putting them in other orbits, working with allies and partners on capabilities that they may bring to the table, and specifically commercial. Our commercial industry in the United States is booming uh, for space, and the talent is, is amazing out there, and they can rapidly build things, you know, really high tech, amazing tech, and bring it to the table a little bit faster than the traditional uh, military process. So we're going to tap into that and have commercial capabilities in what we're defining as resilience. And as we go through and evaluate every one of our mission areas and create new force designs and then decide what to purchase and who, who should do what, 
commercial will be part of, of all of that, as will our allies. Thank you. And finally, just to finish up, I mean, General Shaw, you mentioned earlier that, that space touches every nation and there's not a nation that's not interested. But can I ask you your view of the most important thing that you want our listeners to take away about the space environment? I would say, as I mentioned earlier about joint warfighters and space, it applies to human society. And human society uses space more today than it did yesterday, and it will more tomorrow than it does today. And that doesn't show any signs of slowing down whatsoever. And so realizing we're kind of all in this together, and hence that third space age, right? All the sectors matter to make sure that our activities in space are done in a responsible way, a sustainable way. We will inevitably face security challenges in the space domain, and I cannot surprise us, they exist in every other domain. So this is really, in some ways, it's actually good news. It means that we've arrived in space and that it's important to human society. How do we, how do we make sure we, we keep that sustainable and, and allow us to continue to progress? Superb. And General Amanu, last word to you. And I would add the word stability. I mean, I totally agree with General Shaw, of course. We know space touches all of humankind. We actually intend and you know for the for at the end of the day we desire space to be a peaceful domain a stable environment you know if if you look at modern societies we are touching space every moment almost of every day you look almost at, at, at any place you go okay there's somebody on their phone or there's somebody on a computer and uh, that that timing signal is provided from the space domain, and as access to space becomes more and more reachable, we have no idea the kinds of amazing capabilities that will come to humankind from space. And so I think it is our role to not only keep space sustainable as a domain, but also stable as an environment. Terrific. Look, um, thank you. Thank you both for for reinforcing some really important ideas, for bringing space to earth for us a little, a little today and, and reminding us that it is all about uh, humanity and how things are coming together. Thank you for your time. I hope you enjoy the rest of your, your stay in Australia. Take care. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Beck. Thank you. That's all we have time for today on Policy, Guns and Money. We'll be back with another episode soon. Thanks for listening.